All right. Returning to the program is one of our uh, favorite hosts here of uh, radio that you hear on KDVS. This would be Matt Kaplan, whose program Planetary Radio is heard on this station, 830 to 9, every Friday. We've talked about it before, had a great time. We're pleased to be able to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Matt Kaplan. Thank you, Doug. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on out there in the world of uh, planetary uh, stuff uh, with the Dawn mission arriving at, at Vesta. And, and, and before we even talk about that, fresh off the presses here, Matt, as we, uh, as we talk, they've just found a fourth moon around Pluto. You know, I just read about this a few moments ago on Emily Lakdawalla's blog because I thought, gee, I wonder if Emily's discovered anything interesting that I could talk to uh, Doug about. And sure enough, I mean, she's got a great piece on it with this uh, really fascinating image from the Hubble Space Telescope that now uh, shows this uh, fourth moon. It's uh, uh, quite a system that the New Horizons mission is uh, headed toward. Uh, it's going to arrive there in 2015. Well, yes, and it's sort of funny. You think, oh, my God, that's four years away. But, uh, you know, the Dawn mission was launched four years ago, and, and those four years do go by, and now, and now it's, it's arriving uh, out in the asteroid belt. Yeah, and uh, the New Horizons, of course, it's going to be able to start taking uh, pretty good images. Uh, it will be able to get stuff better than we can get from Earth long before it makes its sure. closest plat- pass to uh, planet, uh, to pla- a former planet, I should say, or Plutoid, <laughs> as... My boss, Bill Nye, likes to say, Bill Nye, the executive director of the Planetary Society now, he calls them Plutoids, and uh, it will be uh, returning terrific images of these uh, well before that closest flyby. Well, I know you've you've, you've spoken to the uh, principal investigator, Alan Stern, I guess. That's right, yeah. Alan is the principal investigator there. Very good guy. Not not happy about the demotion of Pluto, <laughs> but uh, he's got he's got so many irons in the fire. This guy, uh, he's maybe best known now for New Horizons, but he's got a million things going on all the time. And uh, he is um, a regular on our radio show. I should I should point out to you, Emily Lakdawalla is one of your regulars, and she just had a piece in Sky and Telescope, I guess, last month, and uh, she's doing some great science. But I'll tell you, I think her best work is in the blog, uh, and uh, it, it's just amazing. And now she's got uh, quite a few other people there that are contributing to it. She's uh, got this fellow, Jason Davis, a young engineer in Florida, who is uh, keeping track of uh, shuttle stuff, which is, I, I'm assuming that may be something you want to talk about as well. But uh, but she's got quite a, a collection of folks now that are uh, contributing stuff that is sometimes right up to the minute uh, in uh, developments in space exploration. Did she come up with that, that family portrait of the asteroids a couple years ago? Someone put, took, She sure did. Yeah, they, she actually put the actual sizes of the different uh, asteroids we've flown by, and at this point it's you know, a dozen or so, or maybe more, and it was quite striking to see them all uh, lined up against one another. Doug, you were on top of this stuff. Yeah, she put that together, and she's, she's periodically updating it now as we uh, fly by new ones. And, uh, of course, now, uh, well, actually, she put Vesta in there a while ago, but I bet now that we've got these great new images of Vesta that are starting to come in from the Dawn spacecraft, uh, I'm, I'm guessing she's going to add those to the family portrait, except that Vesta is so much bigger <laughs> right. than, uh, than any of the others. You know, Vesta, we talked about a minute ago about Pluto getting demoted. They're calling it a dwarf planet, and, and of course, the same mission, uh, the Dawn, is going to, with a, with a, with a very... Um, a light touch blast away from Vesta next year and go explore Ceres, but that'll be our, our first look at what they're calling these dwarf planets now. Ceres is large enough to actually be uh, circular and, and like Pluto, and that's sort of the, 
figures in that definition of being a dwarf planet. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, as, as long as it's big enough to pull itself into a sphere, and which is really just a function of uh, how massive it is and how much gravity there is to pull that thing into, you know, the least uh, the thing of least resistance. Um, that that Vesta, even Vesta, we thought would qualify, and it wasn't until not long before uh, the Dawn spacecraft got fairly close that we started to get decent uh, images of Vesta that made us think, hey, you know what, this thing is probably not the sphere that we thought it is. And, of course, now Vesta has, has amply demonstrated that. As you've probably seen, some of these incredibly detailed images that are already coming back, even though it's still, I think, something like 40 or 35,000 kilometers uh, from Vesta. I guess as it pulls in and gets ever closer and in orbit now, they're gonna they're expecting next week to really get some get some close up shots. Is what I, I understand. No doubt, absolutely right. Uh, and uh, but but even now, it's it's absolutely beautiful to see what's happening. I loved your description of the light touch. That is uh, <laughs> how the spacecraft is going to pull away from Vesta and uh, head off to Ceres, which indeed we're pretty sure is a sphere because it's quite a bit bigger than Vesta. Right. Biggest thing in the asteroid belt, as you probably know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, of course, it's, it's those ion engines that uh, make all of this possible. I mean, this is going to be the first spacecraft ever to visit an object, stick around that object, orbit it, in other words, and then say, okay, time to move on right. and move to someplace else. And it's that incredible ion engine, uh, actually only one in use at a time, uh, that, uh, that is enabling it to do this. I mean, I, I just think of this as a, a tremendous uh, predictor of, of the future of uh, spaceflight around our solar system, hopefully carrying people now and then. Let's talk about that little ion engine. It, it, it gives very little thrust. I think some say like the weight of a, the weight of a, a piece of paper but it can do it at great long periods of time, which, which adds up. Of course, out in space, there's nothing to slow you down. So with time, you can, uh, you can really get from A to B without, without expending a lot of energy. Yep, exactly right. It's, just, it's a function of how fast it's shoving the stuff out the rear end of the rocket nozzle, although it's not truly a rocket nozzle, the way we think of with uh, chemical rockets. But um, even though it's pushing out tiny, tiny amounts of stuff, it's pushing that stuff out so fast that it actually is imparting a fair amount of uh, momentum to the rest of the spacecraft, and because it's pushing out so little, it's able to, you know, in a fairly small tank, carry a fairly small amount of this, and I think Dawn is running on xenon, uh, liquid xenon uh, in its tanks, which of course is a gas uh, at... uh, yeah. at least at uh, sea level here on Earth. But it's very heavy. It's made of a fairly heavy molecule, and it's charged, and they just shoot it out the rear at some significant portion of the speed of light. And uh, they do it for year after year after year, and it's just amazing uh, how good a way that is to get around the solar system. Well, I've been sort of painstakingly following this, as I'm sure you have as well, Matt, about how this little little spacecraft just sort of went out it went out past Mars and was chugging uh-huh. along past Mars, being, being, uh, getting a little gravity assist to go out to Vesta. And the pictures we're getting now, they're, they're like nothing else I think we've seen. It looks, it's, 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 it's um, a body they're calling a protoplanet because they think it started to heat up in the early days of the solar system, but it looks, to me, it just looks odd. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm starting to think of it, even as I talk with you, as sort of a, a transitional object, as something that is almost halfway between 
uh, a, a planetoid or a plutoid, if you will, uh, and, uh, and an asteroid, because the thing is nearly spherical. I'm looking at a, a beautiful shot that apparently was uh, posted uh, on, uh, well, just a couple of days ago, July 18. Yeah. Really nice, too, because there's a, a shadow. You can see the Terminator, and, of course, that lets you see all the great detail on the surface. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, maybe this thing was more spherical, and it just got hit by other rocks so much that they just knocked it out of shape, uh, poor little guy. Well, I, I know, Matt, that uh, up in Toronto, a Canadian scientists put together an exhibit um, based on what they think are chunks of Vesta because it's got kind of a, uh, a signature, the spectrum of, of it doesn't look like many other asteroids, and they've, they've thought that a lot of pieces of rock that have found their way to Earth came off of Vesta, which, which, is, which is kind of a almost unique circumstance. I mean, we know we've got a few pieces of Mars and a few pieces of the Moon, but... It's kind of curious that we, we do think we have a number of pieces from this, this object, which we've now um, pulled into, look at. Yeah, I read a little bit about that. You probably know more about it than me, Doug, but, uh, and it's something I ought to look into. But I, I, I'm guessing that once we get out there and Don is able to do uh, a much better analysis of Vesta's composition, it may be able to uh, give us more evidence as to whether those fragments really are from Vesta or not. And, of course, that's part of the whole idea here is to help us learn about the early solar system because the thinking is that, you know, uh, the, the parts of Earth that were exposed uh, millions or really billions of years ago are uh, long, long gone, whereas a lot of these objects way out there, like Vesta, are probably still showing us a face that it looks pretty much the same as it did three or four or five billion years ago. And uh, uh, those Mars meteorites, of course, that's a, that's a terrific thing to, to talk about. And there's something like, what, I don't think there are quite 20 of them that are confirmed. But that's why the Planetary Society is sending its uh, life mission to yet another rock that may have been captured from the asteroid belt, Phobos. Uh, yeah. They're now thinking that both the moons of Mars are captured asteroids. And uh, it's going on a Russian mission later this year, the Phobos Sample Return Mission. The Russians got smart. They hired an English-speaking PR guy, I guess, and changed the mission from Grunt to uh, Phobos uh, Sample Return. <laughs> the Grunt mission was never going to catch on. No, it just didn't have what it takes, you know, with the American media market. Uh, but uh, we have this little canister, this little titanium canister that's going to fly out there with some living creatures on it. And because it's a very long mission, you know, we're testing this idea that maybe stuff could have... If there was life on Mars and it got blasted off in the middle of a meteor, which might have protected it from the space environment, could it have made it to Earth and, and perhaps even seeded life on Earth? It's this hypothesis called uh, panspermia. And uh, we're going to see if these critters can, you know, survive the trip to Phobos and back. It'll be a little bit of a test of that, uh, of that hypothesis. Well, it's all, it's all very exciting stuff. Uh, sort of a sour note in all of this is that the last shuttle mission is going to come down. It'll, it'll come down by the time we air this. And that's sort of bringing an end to an era of um, a sort of unsatisfactory era of putting man into space. And now we're looking at what we can do next. And I guess there's a lot of, uh, a lot of thought of what would be appropriate at this point. You bet. I have such mixed emotions about this. I am as sad as anyone to see the end of the space shuttle era because for all of its problems... For all of its, you know, being assembled by, in a sense, Congress, 
uh, and never really meeting its original goals, particularly uh, cheap access to low-Earth orbit, it is still a marvelous vehicle. I mean, we've never had anything go into space, anything like it. It's going to be a long time before we have anything else like it again. Uh, but it's time. It's time to move on. It is not just a 30-year-old spacecraft. It's really more close to a 40-year-old spacecraft when you think of when the components and the designs first started to come together. And uh, we're, it's time to move on. And, and I'll tell you, Doug, I'm sure excited about some of the commercial spaceflight uh, projects underway, X-Core, uh, SpaceX. Uh, I think they're doing some very exciting things. And, I, and now that SpaceX is ready almost ready to build its Falcon 9 Heavy. Uh, they, they say that they're going to start putting this thing together. That thing is going to be able to put as much cargo into space, almost as much, as the space shuttle could. And then we'll have these other smaller craft to put people up there. And, yeah, for a while we're going to be depending on the Russians uh, and the Soyuz, which is why they're raising the price on us. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think it's going to be too long before we see some, some new ways to get people up into low-Earth orbit. But, of course, the really exciting stuff is all out there beyond that point. We're speaking with Matt Kaplan, the host of Planetary Radio, about uh, some exciting things that are always taking place, in, in, well, hopefully always taking place in our solar system. And, Matt, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned sending a little canister out to Phobos and getting a chunk of that and bringing it back. But there's been a lot of talk about, you know, where to go, where to, where to send people. And, of course, the moon, we've been there, we've done that. There's talk about going to Mars, but that seems to be... Uh, uh, I don't know, bogged down in, in politics, but a, a third logical place to go would be an asteroid, because in terms of the energy expenditure to get out to one and get back, it sort of pencils out better than a lot of other missions. And uh, I know that uh, we mentioned Emily, Emily Lachtewall, who's always on your show. She did a study recently and showed that uh, you have to be kind of selective, I guess, in which one of these things you may want to go to. And I think, I think you talked about that, didn't you? I did a little bit. She did quote some other people who were looking at possible targets. It's a matter of uh, finding one that uh, is, you know, in an easy enough to reach orbit. Yeah, and I think, and also how it's spinning. I mean, if and, and what it's composed yeah. of. If you try to land on some of these things, it's trying to land on a big gravel pile. Yeah, it'd be like trying to land on a, on a, on a piece of st uh, something that was not particularly solid. Yeah, some of these things are not a whole lot more substantial than uh, than comets, which of course have been called dirty snowballs, or I know somebody else who calls them uh, snowy dirt balls, uh, may be more accurate. Uh, but, you know, if they pick the right one, and it's one that they can get to, of course, you know, there are a lot of tricks involved with doing this, having to match up uh, velocities with it. Right. Uh, but I, I think that one of these would be a fine target, and I think one of the reasons to do that, even though now we have within our reach uh, robotic craft that are going to be able to fly out to bodies like this, and return samples. In fact, it's already happening, of course. It's mm -hmm. already happened with a comet. Mm -hmm. um, I, think that, uh, uh, I think that being able to send people out to one of these bodies would just be uh, perhaps not as captivating as Apollo 11, but maybe as captivating as one of the later Apollo manned missions to the moon. Sure. I, I, I think it would be an absolutely outstanding thing and a great inspiration for a lot of young people who... Uh, many of us are hoping we'll start to consider uh, the sciences and engineering uh, as careers. Well, I, I hope that we live long enough to see somebody going out there to an asteroid, Matt. Uh, that, that's probably something they could do in, in 10 years if they set their mind to it. I couldn't agree more, Doug, and I would hope, you know, I say let's shoot for five or six years. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm an eternal optimist here. I'm with you. <laughs> 
Oh, one thing, though, another concern is that there's some talk now about canceling the James Webb uh, Space Telescope, and I know the Planetary Society is doing what it can to make sure that doesn't happen. That would be terrible. You're right. This is extremely disturbing, and it's something that Bill Nye talks about a lot, has talked about on our show, and I'm sure he will again. Uh, this is, once again, I mean, shades of what happened with the space shuttle when NASA was really going for, uh, in some ways, a different kind of vehicle and was forced by budget constraints into the design that they went with. Well, in this case, it may be even worse, where you have basically a handful of uh, Congress members, of senators and congressmen, who um, happen to have uh, a lot of jobs in their districts, in their states, that have been dependent on the building of components of the space shuttle system, the space transportation system. So they have managed, through their colleagues, to include in this uh, NASA funding bill the, uh, really the mandate that uh, NASA must build what they're calling the Space Launch System. Uh, and uh, it'll be a heavy launch vehicle or a heavy, uh, uh, fairly uh, high-lift vehicle or a very capable one of capable of getting a lot of stuff in low-Earth orbit. But, you know, there are a lot of other plans for this, and it's still going to use existing components of an outdated, not to say obsolete, space uh, transportation system. And because of the cost of this, it's uh, going to force NASA to eliminate funding for a number of really valuable science uh, experiments and missions. And in fact, the James Webb Space Telescope has been specifically excluded by Congress. And here, this, uh, this incredible telescope, the follow-on to the Hubble, right. although its mirrors are seven times as big, uh, wow. It has a good chance of not just finding extrasolar planets, because, of course, we've found hundreds of those so far, but of maybe telling us that, hey, this one over here has oxygen and a lot of water, and who knows, if it has oxygen, that, that might very well mean it has life. Well, it has had a lot of troubles. They've had a lot of cost overruns. It's way over schedule, but it is amazing technology, and they really are making great progress. And uh, for Congress to come along and decide, well, you know, we're going to, we don't like this one. We're going to steal some of the money from here and put it into this one that really has no mission, nowhere to go, as Bill Nye said. It's pretty disturbing. And, you know, anybody who really cares about this, this is a good time to contact your representative or your senator, however you feel about it. Maybe you think this is a swell idea, but uh, Planetary Society is definitely encouraging people to uh, make their voices heard. Well, and I hope some of our listeners will, will do exactly that. Matt, it's always a pleasure. Before we go, I want to mention the fact that your program is produced for our sister station, KUCI, down in Irvine. And, of course, being re-aired on uh, KDVS makes us uh, two UC stations. And um, there's some people that want to create a, a UC radio network that would really bind together the stations. And I, and I think that your show is kind of the prototype for that. And I hope that someday, you know, it'll be heard on, on all of the, uh, the UC radio stations. Wow, that would be terrific, Doug. Uh, the, I would love to uh, share share a slot with you uh, on that new UCRN. There used to be a UCRN, and I'd love to see it uh, resurrected. I'm a product of the UC, out of UC Irvine, and uh, that would uh, that would be quite an honor to be carried on a network uh, uh, from those universities. And it is uh, it is always an honor to uh, talk with you, Doug, and also to uh, share the airwaves with you there at KDVS. Well, my pleasure, Matt. I hope you'll come back again, maybe in a few months. And, and we need to get we need to get put a good word in this with Emily Lockdewall. We need, we want to, we've done our short list of people we want to get on the show. I'm sure she would be happy to go on, and I will tell her you said hi. Thanks, Doug. Please. All right, Matt. Thanks. You bet. Take care.